Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Store Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 17. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m., although at the moment for the next two weeks, it's going to be Monday at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get your comments towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So just a couple of announcements that I want to start with. First off is that uh, if you haven't been uh, paying attention for the last couple of weeks, Jordan has been... Um, he's actually on the road at the moment, so he hasn't been able to join us in the podcast. He's with us tonight, which is pretty cool. He's Woo. in Canberra at the moment, but he was able to make it. Um, so just a, just a quick update, George, how's the how's the the work? I guess tell people what you do on the side and, and how it's going. Yeah. Um, okay. So how it's all going is really well. I mean, it's second weekend and we haven't really had a break yet, so it's getting a little bit to that stage of wanting to murder every one of your workmates. but. <laughs> Yeah, we all get there. Um, but no, it's going really well. So I'm out with the show as the stage manager for the show, but in the tech time, so from lunchtime till the show time, I'm the robotic technician. Um, because and when you say show, show, is this like a, a theatre production? A, yeah, a live theatre show. So um, if anyone has been around in the 90s, his, the performer's name is David Strassman. He's a ventriloquist. Uh, which is pretty big over here still. And the thing that makes him different is all of his puppets are robotic. So he can control them like with a remote control in his hand and the mouse will move, but they've also <laughs> got moving arms, moving heads, eyes, oh, everything's, nice. yeah, everything's animated. So there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, and there has been a few things go wrong, and that's why I missed the first week I was away. I had a um, pretty big failure in a crappy country town with no electronics store, so <laughs> it was just hell. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been good. So this Saturday that had just passed, we shot our DVD, which means that all of the stress from this tour it's has gone. now been lifted. <laughs> now it's just we'll get to the venue, we'll do a show. If something goes wrong, well, it doesn't matter. Because the so, DVD is Did you only shoot one show? We shot two Just shows, right. but in one night. So we do two shows a night oh, okay. sometimes. Because um, uh, usually, if well, I, uh, my limited uh, knowledge here, but uh, my understanding is that you would shoot up to four different shows and then yeah. just pick the best bits out of all of them for something like that. Um, yes, that is exactly how you should do it. And you should even right. do a few shoots <laughs> in a different theater just in case yeah. the crowd reacts differently. However, mm -hmm. I don't want to say it too wrong, but that costs money. And, yeah. uh, and I understand, you know, yeah. Anyway, we did good. I mean, both the shows that we recorded had pretty good lines messed up. But that's all right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, what else? That's it. I have my first day off today, so that's pretty cool. Oh, last week I padded a rhino. That was cool. Was oh, well. cool. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of last week's show, John was at at a zoo, and uh, we were laughing because I'm I'm from South Africa, and I've still I've never even seen a lion, let alone petted <laughs> a, a rhino. And here you are getting all of that yeah. stuff. I, I feel I'm ashamed of my heritage. You know, the, the craziest thing is hyenas. Mm -hmm. There's two hyenas that I got to feed, and they are the most amazing-looking thing. But because of the Lion King, I always had in my head that they were these <laughs> just ugly, smelly things. They're just assholes, yeah. But, yeah, they were cool. They didn't stink. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't want to get in the cage with them, but they were just really cool. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Yeah. I All saw right. that you were feeding. Oh, okay, carry on. No, no, go for go for it, Joey. We'll, we'll, I, we'll I saw you, you were feeding a lion, man. That seems insane to be allowed to do that. Yeah, well, so I don't know if I should say it, but okay. I, I, I made friends with the zookeeper at night um, 
So on that day, like we went around, we fed lions, <laughs> giraffes, the rhino, we yeah. patted the rhino, we did, I can't even remember everything, the meerkats, the lemur, uh, a few of the smaller reptiles, the aquarium, I patted a shark that was like a three meter shark. Yeah. Um, and like everything. <laughs> yeah, like needless to say, it was a mind blowing experience and I was kind of caught up in the, the moment and I just really hit it off with the zookeeper. So at the yeah. end of the night at 11 o'clock after being wined and dined with all you could like <laughs> imagine, uh, she was like, oh, I got to go do the lockup. And uh, we dropped off the bus in the meantime. And I was like, would it be cool if I came and saw it? <laughs> so she took me back behind all of the enclosures to like the quarantine breeding area. Well, That's I didn't cute. get to go in the door, but I got to pop my head through. Uh, I patted like a Burmese python, which has got the smoothest um, skin of all snakes. It was incredible. I've just got uh, this I image see. of you running around, just petting everything. Just like, I, oh, oh, I, I was in this. this amazing like place for a whole 24 hours afterwards of just awe. It was so cool. Jeez, cool. Yeah, that's I, mean, cool. I could talk about it for hours, so I'll stop here because I will ramble. Right. And, and I'll, cool. I'll, I'll just mention as well that we haven't actually talked about which zoo you were at, so you're, you're, you're exactly. probably safe. We're, we're fine. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> you were over here in Auckland, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was in Singapore or something. Oh, yeah, right. All right, so then the next thing we wanted to touch on, which – Ross over in the chat has already brought up, and I know there's a few of you wanting to find out. Joey, your kitchen, how did that all turn out? <laughs> okay. Actually, actually before so, we do that, let, let me prep anyone who doesn't know the, the backstory. Okay. Last week, Joey had a very uncomfortable call just before the podcast about a kitchen that he installed. Um, it, was, it was slightly out technically, and the client was unhappy about it. And we heard all about it, but we haven't heard the resolution yet. So how'd it go? Okay, so there's a few things I guess I need to clear up a little bit because, so yes, um, the client was complaining about the kitchen being about two millimeters out of level over about, I think it was three and a half meters long. Um, and so that is not cool to get that phone call, um, but there were actually some problems that um, needed fixing and uh, it wasn't really till I got to site that we could work through what was going on. And so I have to say up front, there was definitely some mis miscommunication on my part. There was miscommunication on the client's part. Um, but that actually had nothing to do with the phone call. Mm. So it was quite a different, a different conversation on site. In fact, any of that talk about the leveling didn't even come up on site. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, it was all about this other issue, which completely kind of threw me for uh, a six. So um, how do I explain this? Um, so the original drawings that the client gave me some hand-drawn drawings to quote from. So I was like, fine, had measurements on it. Mm. Um, when I did the site measure, the site, the wall that the kitchen was going along was 300 mil shorter than his drawings added up to. So somewhere I had to lose 300 mil from the design, which is easy enough. I whack 300 mil off a set of drawers and the kitchen's going to fit. Sorry, just to stop you there, that was his drawing was out by yes. 300. Okay, yep. Yep, or the building was built 300 mil short, something. <laughs> but <laughs> the actual size was 300 mil shorter than what I had quoted for. Yeah. So I was like, well, fine, it's just that's why you do a site measure. We'll shorten up one of the cabinets and make it fit. So he had assumed that I was going to shorten up the corner unit. Oh, yeah. And I shortened up the drawer unit. And the reason I didn't um, shorten up the corner unit is one, it's easy to shorten up a drawer unit. Uh, and two, if anyone's ever made a corner unit before, there comes a point where the opening size just becomes too small and too impractical to actually get into the corner to put stuff away. Um, so it has to be a fairly um, kind of good size space. So that is kind of one problem and that could be dealt with um, to a point. Um, 
the major problem was that, so if I just talk about order of operations a little bit here, generally you would install a kitchen, there will be power in the right place for the ranger, the extractor over the stove, but the holes for the extra extractor pipe are almost never cut until the kitchen's in and the and you actually go to install the range hood. Is that the way it should be or just the way yeah, it's in? That's okay. the way it should be because you do the job when you need it done. Like that's kind of how it's done. Um, so I get there to install the kitchen and the hole's already through the wall. And they've put yeah. a hole through the cladding and it's all finished. And I'm kind of like, okay, what measurement are you working from for this thing? Um, so he had assumed, that obviously, that the corner unit was going to be shorter. And so we we're 150 mil out for the hole in the wall. Just, it's just compounding now. Yeah. Um, but actually, it was going to fit just. The range would have, I did all the measurements, and it actually was just going to fit by about 5 mil. So I was like, okay, we're, we're still good. Um, so, but when I went back after, to assume I was just going to re level the kitchen, it became apparent that that needed to be sorted that was his main issue so at the end of the day what i had to do was on site i pulled the whole kitchen out i dismantled the corner unit completely i had to scribe it into the corner to gain a few extra mil that i needed and then i chopped 150 mil off the end of it screwed the end cap back onto it for some reason i had taken half a sheet of birch plywood with me because uh, I thought I might have to redo a skirting or something, uh, a toe kick or something. Um, and I had to add a 150 mil unit on the other side of on where the, the drawers were. Um, and I had to add a little like a breadboard or oven tray um, little yeah. Yeah. cupboard. So I had to build that on site, re rip the other one down, do all that. So it took me all day. I was there from... I think when I got there, nine thirty till four or something like that, mm. um, and yeah, eventually got it, and then we had to put that together, clear coat it, and relevel the whole thing, and so then he was happy. That's what he said. <laughs> and I assume at this point, obviously, the 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 countertops not you didn't have to take the the countertop off. No, no, that they were waiting on me. I did feel a bit bad about it because that day I went back. The next day they had booked in to have the the bench top um, templators come in. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. And they had to put him off an extra day, which actually was not too bad. But mm. um, so <laughs> so um. So this was what Tuesday in the week. Now at the time he had asked me to price up to build the range hood box because they had built a, a built they'd bought a built-in type range hood. Yeah. So I took some measurements and he wanted a little shelf. I was like, fine, take some measurements. Um, I said I'll give you get you a price next week, which is this week. Um so and then by Thursday came, which his money was due. No money came in. Friday, um, I emailed and said, where's my money? He said, oh, I'm waiting because you took an extra day to, to finish the kitchen. So I'm going to take an extra day to pay you. What? Power play much. Thanks. Yes. And, then, and also that he wanted to make sure the kitchen bench top was properly um measured up for whatever um so i was like okay so i ended up getting my money and then oh, that's right at least you came through but then sunday night he emailed and said where's the quote for the, the little shelf and the range hood box we need it installed next week um so needless to say that's not happening <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so what you just you just said that's it i'm i'm done no i said i can't do it by then which and i can't so so he said, okay, thanks very much. I'll oh, I haven't heard from him. I haven't heard from him. Jeez. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a word that comes to mind about that, but I won't say it. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the fun things you get probably once a year, I'd say. Would you class this as quite a, this is quite a, because I know we, was uh, a couple no, of weeks ago. No, it's not, it's not because I got paid mm. and, um, 
and it was a pain in the ass. But I do, I am definitely, uh, I mean, I am willing to fix something if, if it's my stuff up. And and like I kind of mentioned in that podcast the other week or a couple of weeks ago, is that this is a bit ambiguous. It's not 100% my fault, but there's yeah. definitely some of it is my fault. And so when that is the case, you can't pick and choose what you do or do want to fix. You just have to say, right, I am responsible for some of this. Mm. Um, and you can't fix a kitchen, so I'm going to have to fix the kitchen, and that's it. And I did it. I smashed it out in a day, and I was like, right, now give me my money. So, and I got it. Um, I don't like being put in that position of kind of ransom. Yeah. Because, um, anyone who's ever built anything for money knows that that last payment, that's my money. The deposit pays for the job. The, the mm. last bit of, or most of that remaining um, final payment is my wages. And I hadn't been paid for three weeks and I really could do with buying groceries in the weekend. Um, you know, like it's, that's, I think people think there's businesses have got these huge cash flow sitting around in the bank. Yeah. It doesn't really work like that. There is some money sitting around, but that's not mine to spend. You know, um, I need the money from the job so yeah. I can eat. So it's, um, yeah, just a, an interesting, you know, everything worked out in the end. So J- J- Jason's got a pretty strong view about it in the in the chat yeah. there. Unfortunately, I'm not going to mention what you said, Jason, for the listeners <laughs> because uh, <laughs> we're trying to keep this PG, but everyone in the chat, I'm sure, will agree with you. Yeah, like, and to I think like that to a point, but I also think, which is something I haven't really considered before, the client is building a new house. Um, they're in a very tight budget, and they're trying to get it done to a deadline and they're under some stress and he's trying to hold down a full-time job. And there's certainly an amount of. You've got a whole empathy for him. Yeah. That's what I mean. There's got to be, there's a level of empathy where this guy's just trying to do the best for his family. He's got a vision of what he wants. It wasn't quite how he envisioned it and um, wanted it fixed. And I understand that because I've been in that same position. You know, you just want someone to do their bloody job. Like, just fix it, you know? And so I get that. And that's why I like to try and fix what I need to. But there's a certain amount of being nice to someone's face and then having a completely different tone on the e- via email. I, I find it hard to deal with that. And that's when I start distancing myself from a, from a job. Yeah. Yeah, that's, to me, the, the fact that you, you fixed it immediately should have just cleared up any 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 issues because a lot of the time the you know the contractors yeah. would or the traders would drag their feet along but you've said no, I'm going to fix this immediately because there's a problem which yeah. I think if anything that should reinforce this guy's trusted you yeah you know like so, it's not like you've screwed him over you made a mistake but then you've fixed it immediately that's yeah. better than yeah right, this is something I've wanted to actually say in a couple of other podcasts but haven't really had the the um, thought about actually saying it is that uh, certainly myself i would say both of us we never go out with some malicious intent we're not going out to try and cause a problem we're not trying mm-hmm. to rip somebody off we just want to do our job and, and get what we deserve for it yeah and i think that because there are people like that out there and people get scammed often there's a certain amount of others oh, bloody tradies running away with my cash or, you know, rip me off. Yeah. And so there's definitely a point of view. I think that some people just automatically jump to the conclusion that you're useless. And that's hard to deal with because it's certainly not my, who my personality is. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I just, anyone who knows my background knows I'm only doing this because I love doing what I do. I could make way better money <laughs> doing <laughs> something else. Anything yeah. else I could be building still and me making a shit ton more money, but it's not fun. Mm. And so I, you know, I don't like getting into these conflicts because um, that's that's not what I'm here for. And I, and so being accused or having this um, kind of sly intent of your your stuffing me around is not at all what I'm what I'm about. So I find that a bit difficult to work work through sometimes. Um, on that, I think another thing that people often forget 
and by people, I mean clients, is that as a small business, as as you and I both are, this is our what is our art. So, mm. like, we have pride in what we do. So, obviously, if we mess it up, we would want to fix it. But if they're not kind of going along the same journey with you or being facetious mm. or whatever, it's true. It makes it affects us a lot more than it would if tradie that's just gone in to install some laminate flooring, like. You know, it's a different bowl game, but they don't necessarily see it like that. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, right. that's very true. That's very true. Something else as well that um, I think is short-sighted possibly from from his end is like when when I engage with um, aircon installers, sparkies, plumbers, every time I talk to someone, I'm, I'm like, I hope this is going to become my plumber or this mm. is going to become my electrician. Yep. And I've gone through about three different yeah. AC guys and I finally found my guy and I will ring Shane up whenever I need because he's that guy. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to do is annoy him and then I've got to go find someone else. Like, you know, it's yep. it's really just destroying that relationship that you want to have with your guy. Yes, yeah, a big put off. Um, you just you just you have one little kind of tiff and then you're like, right. This is this is not working. <laughs> You're officially scratched out of his yeah. yellow pages now. Yeah, for, for good. Absolutely. Yeah, but vice versa as well. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, I've I've had it where I thought I'd be scratched out of their page, and then they come back to me, and yeah. then they turn out to be a fruit, like a brilliant client. Mm. They they give you the freedom, and they so. I wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't like count on him not coming back ever again. No, you're right. That has happened to me too. Where I've thought, "Huh, this person has got back to me," and I really didn't think they were very happy. I'm based on their last email or or whatever it yeah. is. Um, but actually, could have just been a bad day. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> as you say, it's the stress of building a house. Yeah, have a little it, bit of empathy for the guy, and it that's makes what sense. I think yeah. mostly it is. It's like just you know, he's got this very, it seems very tight timeline, and things don't happen on the days where he's he's got it all mapped out on a spreadsheet. And if it doesn't happen on the day, then, you know, things, it's not good. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it ended, you got there in the end. Yeah. Um, maybe not the the outcome that you would have <laughs> hoped for, but at least I guess it's yeah. over. So is this going to tie into the topic for tonight then? Uh, let's see. Probably not, but uh, let's <laughs> okay. make it no, Probably not. Well, that, that's fine. So the the topic for tonight. Um, well, I could do thinking about what I just said. <laughs> that, well, that's why I immediately thought. Yeah, of yeah, right. <laughs> so the topic for tonight. This came from Joey. It's about the. We're going to talk about the types of plans that you use in the shop. So, do you have a detailed blueprint with measurements and everything, or do you have sort of a handwritten note on a on a napkin? And was was there a story to go along with it, Joey? Yeah. So a few times, quite a few times. Um, so there's two two little stories here. Um, so earlier, what what are we now? Monday. So sometime last week, I was emailed through a, a drawing of a built-in, very complicated sofa, um, extremely complicated thing, and they had drawn, uh, they had CAD drawings, two two D CAD drawings with measurements everywhere. Jordan's probably familiar with what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um often you if you see if you have in a kitchen manufacturer they have these printouts on a a4 a3 and you can't make any sense out of it it does not make any sense why you draw plans up this way but that's what seems to happen the only um saving grace for this particular job i'm talking about the sofa is that they had included a couple of 3d renderings and I didn't even look at the plans. I just took the actual plans. I took a measurement. Okay, it was going to be three meters long or whatever it was. And then I just based everything, kind of guesstimating what I'd need based off the 3D drawing because there's no other way I could tell what the hell was going on. Um, I mean, really, you could. You could sit down and spend an hour working out what each elevation and what each section is trying to tell you. But it just it doesn't, you don't need that kind of level of information um so so that's one thing to bear in mind and also uh, i quite often get people asking for the plans for my workbench 
which I don't have. I have a, a SketchUp model, and I'm happy to give it away to people who email me. And so I gave this this guy, some random person, a uh, the model, and he came back and said, "This is okay, thanks, but I, where's the detailed plans? I I need to be able to like copy it." Um, so I, I haven't. I don't even think I've responded to that. Um, and so it got me thinking, like, what? Because I am definitely not the kind of person who can work off this very detailed CAD drawing. And I wonder if there are furniture makers out there who do it. I, I can't see how you can, but yeah, I guess I could throw it over to you guys and riff on it. <laughs> well, I th- I'll just, I just want to jump in there before we get into it. When he says plans, I assume he's talking about the, the write up of like the steps. Well, no, as far as I, when I gathered from his email, he was after like a tech drawing. Technical drawings, two-dimensional uh, okay. elevations, yeah. sections, actual finite measurements, um, which I could probably do. But do you? But he could recreate it? it himself in SketchUp. Yeah, can't you extrapolate it from? Well, you can just take the measurements literally off the SketchUp model. Yeah, exactly. So, like, turn it into a wireframe, and there you go. Like, um, so it's very so the so, I guess maybe I say my how i'd go about doing things is um which we have touched on a little bit but i thought it might be worthwhile and i'd like to hear what you guys think about the whole tech drawing thing and if it's necessary but just about every job i've ever done is i make a 3d model that is to scale and it's the right size and i can look at that in the workshop but generally i'm only looking at one or two measurements which are the critical measurements and once that piece say they say i don't know a top a bench top or something that's got to fit into a specific space everything that's holding up that bench top is relative to the bench top it's got nothing to do with the drawings mm. anymore um that's just mm. for me really to work out how many how much materials i need or to work out a complicated little section but um yeah so what do you guys think about crazy complex drawings that seem to make things more confusing i think yeah i mean i'm i'm 100 on your on your level like i don't think there's there's a place for technical drawings with engineering and with you know with metal uh fabricators mm, and all right. of that because yeah. they're relying on a fixed um you know they're using this specific fastener so it has to go through that specific hole and this yeah. specific because it's mounting on but as a furniture maker working in wood mm. we have a very forgiving material so like mm. we don't need to position that hole to the to the nearest thousandth as long as it's center in that rail and it's holding the correct edge down mm. it will get that sorted um i do like working from projection plan like just projection drawing so i have the front face uh, right. side yep. and the yep. top um, but never do I rely on them. Like mm-hmm. I just, I have them there so I have a few reference dimensions. Like, uh, for example, the amount of overhang between the the top and the apron. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's useful to have, but yeah, I don't absolutely. need all of the yeah. other informa- information. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, let's say my standard go-to is I'll have the 3D model I've done in SketchUp. I take the vital drawings from that in Notepad. And I'll then just go out into the workshop and start cutting stuff. Mm. Um, I, I like to work with templates. So I often will make a template. As you've probably seen if you've watched my videos. Uh, and that's about all the plans I, I would rely on anyway. There's two points, I suppose, to that that I always find very confusing when people want to work from plans is one, um, say you're talking about steel, it comes in standard thicknesses and widths and they're yeah. exactly right mm. and you don't mill a piece of steel down to or you can but yeah. often you don't <laughs> it's, um, yeah it's engineering level that you start doing that sort of stuff. yeah yeah so so when your plan calls for 17 mil timber and you throw it through the thickness there and oops it's a bit too thin now you've got 16 mil what do people do if they're only relying on the plans? Do they just throw that out and start again, or do they have to try and 
work out all the knock-on effects for that mm. extra one mil. Like if you just cut your stretcher a mil too short, all your other measurements might as well be rubbish. Or do you just? Yeah. Do, like, I, it seems way harder to just than to just work your way through the, like measuring what you've got. So. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, I, th I think I mentioned to you guys, I've started using SketchUp for the mm. first time. And it's amazing for getting like this, this 3D model of what you're going to look at. Fantastic. So I, at the moment, I'm working on a co-sleeper, which is like a, a small cot. And I finished the design. It was cool. I checked with my wife. She loved it. I was like, right, I'm going to take down these measurements. I try to find something to like get a cut list from it, but we'll get to that in a second. I assume that's... A plugin for SketchUp. But I wrote down the, the couple of measurements that I wanted, like the slat gap and, and, and all of that. Made my first couple of cuts and I was already out by a couple of millimeters because <laughs> it, it's so like the, the measurements that I was using, that I was, I was looking at were those measurements, as you say, that actually aren't important. They, 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 can, they can be a bit loose. Mm. But I immediately, like my first couple of cuts, <laughs> were out by a couple it. of millimeters. <laughs> and, and I just thought, oh, well, now, now do I start? I'm not going to start again because it's just too to redraw it or do I throw my timber out? Or And it was in that moment that I had that thought of, hang on, there's some vital measurements here where like in this case where the, the mattress goes – but everything else, I can sort of work around that. And, um, yes, the idea of, of taking all your measurements out of your drawing is, is actually you're going to have a pretty bad day in the workshop if you're trying to follow that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess it, it comes to some workflow uh, things as well. Um, so just thinking about the kitchen and the one I'm building now. Um, so when I'm making the, the vertical dividers for the, the kitchen carcass, I cut all of them at the same time. I, I measure, I count on my drawing that I need 17 pieces and they've all got to be this long. And I set the saw up and I cut them all at the same time. So one, I don't have to go back and try and set the saw up. And two, like that, that's one operation kind of done. And so then that piece gets added onto a carcass and you can measure from that what is yeah. the next measurement. Um, Cutting all the because I've heard that some people will make drawings and cut all the pieces. Yeah, you get a then, cut list from SketchUp yeah. and you put that up on the wall and just run with it. Yeah. So how? Like I don't know how that even works because phew, you're asking for trouble, man. I mean, I would say batch out all your cuts in one sort of sitting is the best way to do it, though. So if you have a cut list which has three rails at 17, 19, and then you're four at mm. 305. Like you cut all of the same lengths. Yeah. So it transfers through. Um, and then I've lost my train of thought. I know Jay Bates <laughs> does it in his videos. He was, yeah. he seemed to be very big on, on a cut list, but unless but you have the right, like for, for me, like my, my chop saw doesn't have, like, I don't have a way of, of mm. setting up a good stop block. I don't have a mm. table saw. So for me to repeat cuts, is, it's a real tricky endeavor. Mm. So a cut list is almost immediately out the window <laughs> for me. I think that for me, like, it's only casework where I will have a cut, cut list and mm. stick to it. Um, I mean, every build I do, I will have a idea of a cut list so i know that i have these rails but it's not all laid out at the beginning of the build it's like i'm working on the top today so i'm going to get the top sort and then the next day i'll go back to my model and i'm you know we're uh, working on the drawers so i have all the dimensions for the drawers or whatever you know like mm. i'll go back and forth to a model and get the relevant cut lists for what i'm working on but i don't have it at the beginning of every mm. build unless it's casework I guess it also comes down to your acceptable tolerances. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, sometimes I mean, if you, it doesn't matter if you're a mill out. You mm, can just... Yeah. You know, like if you're using raw runners, which have a little bit of adjustment or those yeah. nice uh, the European style hinges, like yeah. you've got plenty of room for error. Yeah. Try yeah. and aim for perfection, but you can't fix it. That's right. But if you're doing yeah. traditional sliding drawers and all that sort of stuff... Mm. Yeah becomes a little bit more tricky. Yeah, well, I'm thinking, um, I don't know if I posted a picture earlier today on Instagram of the doors I've made for my um, bookcase. Yeah, I and, saw that. 
Right, so for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's just a simple frame and panel door, but there's a cross through the middle. So it turns one door into four panels. Um, and that they are legitimate floating panels, so that's all done properly. Um, so if you were trying to cut the small sections of the cross um, via cut list, I can guarantee the gaps would be way unacceptable for the front the main face of a door that i'm going to look at every day sitting in my lounge mm. you know there's going to be a gap that is no good so purposefully those pieces weren't cut until i had dry fitted the whole door and then i actually measured and there was a difference between the four doors there was a metal difference mm-hmm. and yeah. that's just the way it dry fitted together the pieces were all cut the same or there are other pieces of the doors but because of the way that it had, had whatever I wanted to sit so you can't also rely on if you rely on your cutting to be bang on and you might have the best laser cut fancy majig that's going to make exactly the same length pieces but if you don't have a way to say set your domino up that is perfect then the point of all that exact cutting is kind of gone out the window yeah I think it comes down to also having enough experience to know when you need a precise cut off a list and also when you just need to rely on relative dimensioning. So if you can look at the model and you can say, well, obviously this has to yeah. be exactly that length, but I won't actually cut this until I've got this subassembly done because I'll then just transfer the length I need from that. So one of the earliest, one of the earliest podcasts that we did, I think we talked about lessons we'd learned. And I, and I point and I mentioned something yep. similar to that. As someone who's not been doing this as long as you guys, that was one of the biggest revelations for me was to work out that some things needed to be to to measure and other things needed to be referenced. Mm. When when you have that experience that you know which one's which, everything just becomes so much easier and smoother. You just all those like sweat moments just disappear because you don't need to focus on the measurement of absolutely every single thing. And yeah, even to yeah. the point now where probably you've all done it as well, where you actually take the piece instead of measuring it, you just scribe it directly off what you're making. Yeah. Hold the piece of wood up, scribe it. You have no clue how long it is, but it's the right yeah. length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, that's what relative dimensioning is, you know. Like One thing that I heard, I can't remember if it was from a guy called Andrew Klein or it was Frank Howarth. One of them said it, although I think they actually said – they had heard it from someone. So, um, but it was basically along the lines of the biggest key to woodworking is not being able to measure correctly, but to be able to, but to be able to make repeated cut lengths. So in other words, being able to measure and cut correctly is not as important as being able to make four of the same sizes. That is far more valuable because then you can your 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 squares will be square, you know, from that perspective. Yeah. That's a much more important thing than than just being able to, as I guess as we're saying, run off a cut list. What's the other saying? It's it's not important to have everything perfect, but you just have to learn how to hide your mistakes or something. That's a, that's a that's a nice succinct way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be on a bumper sticker somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> It's a long bumper sticker. So, um, so Greg yeah. in the chat has just brought up something that's that's really interesting. Does SketchUp take into account blade curve? Now, I can almost guarantee you, no one's going to be thinking about that again. Oh, because, well, geez, I would be <laughs> really not. That, that's I know that Fusion I does. I know Fusion does. I don't know. Uh, it would come down to the plugin that you're using. There's heaps of cutlist plugins. So you just set um, that every cut has a three point two millimeter curve, and you're set. I just, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I, I've just been dealing with a designer in Australia, actually, um, who got in touch. He got in touch with me after he saw my cheers video because he's struggling to find the right cheers for his client. And long story short, he sent through his cheer design through, and he had the exact same issue where he had these nice CAD drawings and he had allowed to buy say a 150 by 50 and he was going to get, he could nest on the pieces for the chairs and get like 12 pieces out of this one. And then every little morsel of timber was taken up, but there was no room for one timber variation uh, and straightness and 
uh, curve. And so, you know, if, as soon as you take three or four cuts, especially with the table saw, there's 10 mil. So, yeah. you know, you've lost a shit ton of, of timber. Mm. Um, plus, plus the allowance to clean it up and clean mm. up the, the saw marks as well. There's another half a mil. So, you know, and not allowing for saw curve is like you're asking for a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> but I guess though that comes down to more to how you're going to manage your your resources. Like in in my drawing, I'm going to take measurements of my drawing, but that's not that's got nothing to do with kerf with or you know no. um, because what the drawing is, what the drawing is, what it is important is for when I buy my stock. Yeah, but I mean. It's fairly easy to calculate. You just have how many cuts you have and then add two times the curve of your blade mm. on top of every cut. So mm. if there's 16 mm. cuts, then you would go 32 times 3.2 and add that onto your additional stock. When mm. I'm working with solid timber, I allow 5 mil for each curve. Yeah. And that's when I'm, so that way when I'm buying my rough timber, I've, you know, I've, that kind of extra 10 mil is taking into account that I'm not going to get a dead straight piece of timber, even if it's relatively short, by the time it's squared up, I'm going to be down to my kind of optimal size for cutting the piece. Mm -hmm. Now in terms of, so we've talked about obviously what we use in the workshop. Um, is it important that the, that the drawing is to, cause obviously in SketchUp, it's going to be, it's going to be a scale. Are, are you guys able to picture what it's going to look like without the drawing? And I ask this because my wife has must, must be zero imagination. She can't picture, when I talk to her about something, she can't picture it in her head. So SketchUp's fantastic for that because it's the, the perfect tools. Because, um, Jordan, mm -hmm. a lot of the work that you do is like, it's very grand. It's like, it's like, it's really big stuff. Can you picture what it's going to look like without seeing a scale model? Um, I can, but what I still struggle with is uh, like often things like how much of a reveal is going to be needed to get yeah. the right level of detail. So often I spend just as much time sit, standing and looking at a piece and trying to mm -hmm. figure out those small details as I do actually building it. Uh, the biggest thing that helps me in starting a big build is I have a piece of like a, a whiteboard um, insert and I draw a one-to-one -one right there in the workshop of the site so I can kind of get a sense of the scale of it from a physical drawing. So I guess uh, to answer your question, I still actually would have a plan of sort um, to look at, but it's not going to show me everything I need to look at. It's just giving me kind of the scale it's still also very relativistic because you are, as you say, when you look oh, at totally. it, that's where you're working off your measurements. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm almost, um, almost always can fully picture what I'm otherwise, mostly otherwise I couldn't draw it. <laughs> like if I yeah, could yeah. completely see it and especially I couldn't draw it quickly. Um, so a good example of this is when I made my federal desk which is a crazy like six episodes. That, I don't know why I made such a long video series. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good lesson for you. Don't make long video series. Um, so yeah. I knew exactly. I knew exactly what I was going to build. Um, I had it entirely mapped out in my head. But I could. What I couldn't do, and this is SketchUp is invaluable, is I couldn't work out on the inside where the secret draw is going to go. Is this other piece of timber going to come through at a certain point because it has to, and is there going to be enough room for this thing to slide past this thing? And I couldn't, and it's a crucial detail because do I start building the secret draw into the carcass before I know that it's even going to pass and get through past the stretcher that has to be in the way. So that's where I draw the, and go into SketchUp and completely draw how I'm going to build it. And I can zoom right in there and slide my draw in and out and go, right, I need to lose five mil somewhere because this is gonna have, this is not mm -hmm. going to pass through this thing. Um, and so that is, to me, like working out that kind of very complicated 
where pieces have to interact with each other and you're not quite sure, like trying to visualize that is a very complex thing to do. So you're um, getting in trouble later on, yeah. Yeah, so in that, in, in that case, that's, you know, awesome. Um, also, uh, Robin, you mentioned scale just before, which I mm. thought was interesting, just is kind of turning into a SketchUp podcast, but... Um, <laughs> When you draw something, it's one-to-one scale. It's full scale when you draw it in SketchUp. So 100 mil is 100 mil. Mm. When And sometimes it happens that you draw a thing and it's a bit too big or it's a bit too small. And instead of redrawing it or enlarging the components, you can just scale it up using the scale tool. And you can select the whole model and just decrease it or increase it slightly. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't realize you could do that. Yeah. Hmm. So what it does is make the overall dimensions of your, <clears throat> of the piece, the size you want it, but it increases the individual components in the direction that you're stretching it or you're scaling it. Hmm. So oh, you, so you can actually go in a direction. It doesn't have to just be everything goes up. Yeah. You can go either go up or down or diagonally and do everything at the same time. Right. But oftentimes you just want to scale down a fridge to fit into a hole or something. And so you'll take it from 800 to 700, all right? And you just squeeze up the model a little bit and, and then it's the right size. But if you do that to, say, a table and you stretch it to make it a bit longer, what it is actually doing is scaling up the thickness of the legs. So they might have gone from 100 by 100 to 120 by 100 mm-hmm. because you'll stretch the whole thing which is fine. Most people won't see it if you give the client that picture. Um, but if you start measuring off that drawing and suddenly um, you've forgotten that those components have actually been scaled up in yeah. one direction as well, that is a whole world of hurt <laughs> because, you know, you've completely stuffed up. Yeah, because then your stretches would be all cocked up. Everything's yeah. Yeah. That's uh, something for something to think about if you're going to be me- um, measuring crucial measurements from your models. Mm. I must say, personally, going back to the being able to vid- visualize thing, I think I might not be able to visualize it perfectly, but I've got a good idea of what will work and won't work. So scaling stuff up, that's just a just sort of a broad idea of what it's going to look like. Um, mm. So from that perspective, regardless of whether the model's you know, half scale or full scale, it doesn't matter. All that I want to really see is the proportions. Um, that's that's the more important thing. But even with that, I can sort of see it in my head already. I think where SketchUp for me personally is going to come into handy is for showing clients that just, it must be invaluable. There. Or as you say, obviously the more technical stuff where you've got to work out if there's space for certain stuff. And pricing. I mean, that's the biggest use for me. I could get away without without using SketchUp for most of the things I do, but I have to price it, so I need a model to price it. Mm. So Rob's asked, are you guys using the web version or the pro? So I'm using the I'm using the one that you can download. I downloaded it yeah. just a couple of weeks ago, and the then you Mac. Can, that's yeah. Mac. yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and. Um, I think I think you can use it indefinitely, but you yeah. just have a very limited suite of of tools. Yeah, it's not actually. Um, I use the same, and I had a client who has who bought the Pro because he was drawing up. He wanted to start drawing up his own furniture, so he bought the Pro version. And I he bought it on his laptop to the workshop once, and it didn't impress me overly much. Mm. Um, no, there wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, thousand dollars worth of sketchup yeah, it's mad expensive hey? I've, I've got uh the pro version but it was from when i was still at uni like you could get a student license so it was a one-time yeah. thing i think it was like yeah. 70, 79 dollars or something yeah. uh, so i've got an old old version of pro and then right. on my laptop which i on now i have just the free make version uh, so does the old version update I uh, know. So that license was only for that version of the software. Mm. That's the pain. But yeah. I still, like, if I'm designing on my laptop, I'll save that model as, like, SketchUp 8 or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Not on that one. And then I'll do the extraction of this component from this component. And I'll do all the, all the things that I need 
on Pro and Pro, but everything else is just right. in free version. Yep. All right. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to add? Because we're running out of time. We've got some questions. No, um, go for it. Questions. No, no, no. Cool. I'm good. Uh, do you guys have any questions that you want to that you had asked to you? Uh, oh. No one's no one's talked to me. I've been <laughs> very lonely, <laughs> playing with animals and playing with animals. Well, we'll start with one of them. Um, we just had one in the chat now. Um, or sorry, now this was a comment on one of our uh, last week's video, I think. So we'll just we'll just touch on this briefly because I know we are eventually going to turn this into an episode. It's from uh, what. Wedermond or Wedermond, I'd like to know what procedures you all use to prepare, surf prepare surfaces for finish, so sandpaper scrapers, planes, or other. So, Jordan? Yeah, and that's why I say, let, let's yeah. just do a brief one and we'll turn this into a full episode one day. Yeah, there's a lot of methods, but my most go-to, which I'll say, is I will put it through my wide belt sander or my stroke sander up to 180 grit. Um, and then I finish sand to 220 most of the time with just a random random orbital for flat surfaces. And then for things which are a little bit tighter to get into, I occasionally scrape, but most of the time I just rely on sanding. I have good quality sanders, so it goes pretty quickly with the Festool stuff. Joey? Um, generally, I will sand up to 400 if need be. Um, so on veneers, pretty much only touch it with 400. Um, I will scrape like something like a tabletop. I'm going to flatten it by hand, hand plane, scrapers, and probably sh go over it with a, a smoother smoothing plane. And even if I get a very nice finish from a smoothing plane, I'm almost certainly going to hit it with a 220 or 400 grit. Mm. Um, because there's, it's a texture issue. Um, I find it's very, very difficult to get an even texture mm. on the timber just with hand planing, even though it looks very nice and shiny. There are patches that don't cut the same in the way the grain yeah. changes. And so it's, I find it's very important to um, have, by sanding it, it uh, kind of scuffs up all the grain to an even color if that makes any sense. Yeah. Even texture. Mm, even uh, texture. So with your planing, it's not a method I do, so a genuine question, is yep. if you burnish after planing with the shavings, does that get rid of that color discrepancy or is it still noticeable? Um, I guess it's, that's going to depend on the timber type. Um, right. Let me see what would do that. Like, def like white oak definitely... Is very difficult to get an even plane to finish on. Yeah, um, you definitely end up with glossy patches and duller patches just because the grain direction. Same with ash. Yeah. Um, I haven't. I have done that before, burnished with shavings, but I haven't done it really in a commercial sense because it, it's it's a lot of hard work and um, yeah, yeah. you might as well hold a piece of sandpaper there and cut your time in half. But um, it does make a nice finish. I mean, you can essentially polish that up to like a polished surface with with the timber mm. shavings. I mean, it's popular yeah. with turners, so. Yeah, that's right. Mm. I have found, I got up to about three, uh, sorry, it's all sandpaper for me. Um, I haven't got to the finishing with scrapers and planes yet. Uh, so it's all sanding up to, orbital sander up to about 320 and then the last, but if I can, I try and go with the grain with some hand sandpaper, you know, sort of, 320 600 maybe and that's where i'd stop but i try and do the last bit of sanding with the grain as best as possible mm. on the really high grit do you go that high anyway with the polyurethane or is that only for oil so i it depends it it depends a lot where it is like on the right. tabletop i generally go up just because that's the most you know important tactile surface um but with legs 320 wouldn't go past that yeah um, and then obviously yeah poly then you um, sand it afterwards. But yeah, I'd, the only time I'd ever go up to 600 most of the time is for something like a tabletop, a really big surface where you can really make it shine, so to speak. Right. Metaphorically. All right. Uh, Anthony Toba, could you discuss, um, this is one of the older questions, could you discuss 
costs of woodworking and DIY in Australia? Uh, does the cost of equipment and materials in Australia impede the industry here? So the idea is that over in the US, tools are a lot cheaper than they are here. Um, I had a comment on a planar video just the other day, uh, a thickness planar video about how in the video I talked about how the DeWalt thickness planer here is $1,000 and this person left me a comment saying, no, it's not, it's $400. I don't think they <laughs> realized that I was in Australia and right. they're probably in the US. But yeah, so I guess, uh, I know we've, I think we've talked about this briefly before, but mm. Joey, do you think it's, do you think the cost of our tools on this end of the world affects and, and, and would, does it affect our ability for DIYs to get into this? I'm going to have to say no because of the absolute, I mean, there's a huge range of tool qualities um, mm-hmm. And so maybe for someone to, so a brand that everyone knows would be like Ozito, mm. which is like your Bunnings cheap, as cheap as possible saw or brand, tool brand. Um, you I mean, you could pick, pick up a jig, jigsaw for like $19. Yeah. Um, it's going to cut a piece of wood. It's not going to do the best job. But if you have a $20 note, then you can buy a power tool. You can and, do it, yeah. And if you, and to be honest, if you can't afford that, then it's probably not your game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've talked about this before about how it's not a savings endeavor. It's never going to be. It's an expensive hobby. Yeah, I, I would go so far that the new, like, really big insurgents with social media of makers have impeded what people believe they need to start making That's things. A good point. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, Robin, you're an excellent example of you don't need every freaking tool in the in the factory to get a job done. Like, you've got – you don't have a table saw yet, and still you're making dining tables and dresses and mm-hmm. all of these things that most people thought, oh, I can't make a table because I haven't got this. But it's just because every single video online has a fully equipped workshop. Or well, not yeah, every video, but good. a lot of videos. Yeah, actually, so, I absolutely um, applaud you, Robin, for not having a table saw. I think it's crazy, and it's probably <laughs> not by choice necessarily, but um, it's like the. I think it's a great lesson learner to like of workarounds mm, because yeah. one day when you get a table saw and that table saw breaks down, you'll have to go and go. Oh, what did I used to do? And you'll have some idea of what yeah. you know, some other way to do something. So. Um, mm. Yeah, the table saw does. I, I get a lot of comments about that on my videos. That people always say the table saw is the center of your workshop. So how mm. can you operate without it? But yeah, I don't think so actually. But that's interesting. Like I, when I downsized, I had no table saw for a while, and I still managed to make do. But yeah, well, that I, 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 I wanted yeah. it back. <laughs> it's interesting. The the center of my workshop is actually the crappiest thing I have in my workshop, which is my. Um, um, assembly table. Well, you see, I think mm. a lot of people use their table saw that's as, right. as their assembly that's table because it's right, their most yeah. flat surface, and that's yeah. why people use this as their their first point of mm. you know milling or or cutting or assembling. So yeah. yeah, and that is true in a small shop. But I mean, I think your shop you wouldn't need that to, to kind of live around that that way. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I need it yet. I'm not at the – well, I mean, it would obviously be awesome. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to have one, but I don't need it yet. I, I've been able to get around it. Sounds like you're hinting for a, a machinery manufacturer there, Robin. Yeah. If anyone wants to send Robin a table Oh, I should probably get Nozito just uh, going oh, on what yeah, you've yeah, been yeah. saying there, Joey. Just get uh, Nozito um, skill saw and no, put it halfway through a piece out. of plywood upside down. Bam. What can possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah, safe as houses. Um, the other thing as well with that question was uh, wood. And I know that for me personally, a lot of my wood, my hardwood is all reclaimed. Now, I guess you could argue that I've been lucky and not everyone is as lucky as that. Um, we've talked about before how Bunnings does have hardwood, but they're actually expensive. But I think a lot of the problem is people like myself don't want to go out to timber yards because there's a sort of a... a, a a fear of stigma, a stigma, yeah, yeah of, of not knowing what you're talking about. But you can get good prices. Now, what that is compared to the rest of the world, I'm not sure. But um, maybe that just goes back to what we've said. Like, uh, like for example, I've priced up a cot 
that I wanted to build. And I could either build it out of Moranti, which is going to cost, was $350, $350. Or I can build it out of Tasmanian Oak, which is going to cost about $600. Now, if I make it out of Moranti, it's going to be rubbish. It's just, it's going to be terrible. But if I make it out of Tassie Oak, it's going to be a lot better. Um, there's no getting around that. If I want a quality piece, I've got to spend the money. And I don't, mm. so I don't think that's sort of impeding it. That's just like, how how much reality how, yeah how good do you want it to be how much quality yeah. do you want in that piece and I, um, yeah that, that was kind of my what i was get, getting at when i said yeah, if you can't afford a 20 dollars saw you know that's just that's the reality the reality of what it is and i think complaining about how much something costs is not going to change the fact that you can or can't afford it either so exactly. like, I, I can't change your circumstances and make you make more money or not so it's like it's very um it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's nothing to do with us, really. <laughs> no. And, like, the, there is uh, always a workaround to get cheap mm. or free material. It's just you have to be willing to put in the hard work and not expect that a quick Google search will show up. Oh, that's where all the $5 a length yeah. pieces of uh, American yeah, a lot of, white a lot of, yeah. like, You're not going to find it like that. A lot of the timber that I'm using at the moment was me bashing on a, on a JCB. Excuse me, mate, can you stop tearing that house apart i want to take some of that wood yeah. you know what i mean like it was a pretty awkward situation but that was what it took to get all of that yeah. that wood i've just seen a uh, guy jackson first table saw was an old nine and a quarter yeah. makita screwed in an old fridge yeah <laughs> that's brilliant i'd like to say the fence <laughs> was the handle of the fridge all right um <laughs> So we've got the last one then we've got is uh, Gregory, who is currently in the the chat. Um, all right, we're going to have to shoot through these quick. What would be your top 10 woodworking tools you would buy to start? Maybe let's let's chop it down to... to two. Uh, okay, let's, yeah, let's do two or three. Workbench, chisels. Workbench is a good one. I wouldn't actually consider that as a tool, but yeah, I think yeah. that's a that's a really good point. It's, it's just a giant clamp. Yeah, I like that. Um, I would say like a mobile square, like 1.2 by 1.2 meter workbench would be the yep. best thing I could have around at any given time. Uh, some sort of lifting device because shit, uh, stuff is heavy. So <laughs> like a, a, something that you can lift things with. I find that's something really good which isn't necessarily a tool though mm. and yeah I'd, I'd say chisels good set of sharp chisels would be uh for me a couple of the important ones sort of the, the steps that i've that you know improve my game combination square uh you know I, I went without one of those for a long time i use that every single day i'm in the shop a nice hand plane as much as I don't finish with mine, it's still a really cool tool to have and it does make you feel like now I'm not just Joe Bloggs who's trying to smash mm. together something on the weekend. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm a woodworker now. Yeah. And um, then obviously now we're getting a bit more expensive, but a router for me was a actually yeah, it's a good one. huge thing. Um, I use my router so much for all of the, all of the important joinery yeah. that, that router is invaluable. I know you yeah. can do it with hand tools, but, the router was game yeah. for me. I'll, I'll add a router onto my list easily. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, I guess that's it. Uh, should we talk about what we've been watching? Although I guess it's going to be Jordan. I'm guessing you don't have anything because you've been you watching. Watch uh, yeah. I, yeah, I've been watching a puppet show. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's right. Go and check out Brian at the Sawdust Bureau on Instagram. Awesome dude. We've been chatting a little bit um, on Instagram and what he's doing is pretty bloody cool. So go check out his awesome stuff and his awesome workshop. Cool. Um, all the links to these, to what we've mentioned, will be in the video description down below. Um, I just want to mention, uh, not, not any particular video, but just a channel. It's, uh, I think it's Sumo's Project. It's a guy by the name of Dirk who I got chatting to probably going on a year, year and a half now. And I just want to mention this channel because he's a super cool guy. He makes some pretty cool videos, um, but he's one of those guys who puts in a lot of effort into the community. And I think guys like that are really important to have around. Yeah. So um, I think it's I think it's Sumo's project, but his name's Dirk. He'll, he'd be happy to say hello to you. He's a really rad guy. Um, go check him out. Cool. 
All right. Well, that's about it for the show then. Uh, anything more that you guys want to add? Uh, no. Just no. sorry for missing the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, so we will uh, the next – is it one more week after this or two just after what, this? Uh, I think it's just one more week of Monday. I can tell you actually right now. Give me one moment. While you're looking that up, I also just want to plug the – the. Um, um, now someone's told me how to pronounce this, but because they've pronounced it in text, I don't, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Ma- Marlini, Marlini, oh, uh, right. yeah. the, the Wood e- Marlini Wood Expo in May. Uh, myself, Joey, and Jordan, we're going to be there. We're doing a talk on the Saturday midday. We're going to be basically representing the YouTube woodworking community. Uh, we're very excited about it. Obviously, it would it'd be amazing if you guys could all come out to it. Yeah, uh, we'll be interviewing and talking to as many people as we can turning into turning it into a a video of sorts so if you guys can come along it looks like a very cool expo i will have the link below i've also got a facebook event um that we're we're putting together it's just a meetup for anyone who's not coming to the show but they want to meet up with us as well what i didn't realize is i've actually made the event um private invite only (laughs) which i I can't change now Um, it was mentioned to me. I think it was Ron mentioned that to me. So what that means is that I need to, I need to email you the link. So if you want to get involved, I'll put the link below. But basically, you've just got to shoot me an email, and I'll, I'll invite you. There's no problem with that. So what if we just make a new event? Would that be easier? Maybe or I should. Is it too much hassle. No, you know what? Actually, maybe I should because otherwise I don't want to step on your toes because I know you're you're adminning it, so I don't want to. No, let me, let me do that, actually. Let me do that because yeah. I think we've only got a few people who have definited. Um, okay. I will have the new event in this um, uh, in this video. Yeah, sorry about that. I just assumed that you'd be able to change it afterwards because um, I was worried that we'd just have random, random people yeah. joining it. So, yeah, I'll make it public and then and then we can go from there. Cool. Um, all right. So, yeah, Jordan, are we – is it next Monday? And then uh, next sorry, it? We've got two more. Two more, I thought yeah. so. Okay, so the show will be next Monday, the Monday after that, and then we're back to yeah. Thursday as per usual. Yeah. Correct. Cool. All right, Good. well, thanks again, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you are on iTunes, and thanks for watching if you're on YouTube, and thanks to everyone in the chat. Um, some very cool comments, as always. We really do appreciate you guys joining in the show. All right, well, we'll see you again, same time, same place, next Monday. Catch you see later. Ya.